you for taking time to listen to this sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church and of our campus in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at either 8.30 or 11 o'clock a.m., at our Todd's Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. When Felsha and I started dating, we wanted to show each other our favorite movies. And she had these weird movies, like Almost Famous, and there's this one about, it's got like Beatles music in the background, another one, it's, they're fun. I showed her The Departed. She was deeply offended about the amount of violence in Departed and uh, cried the whole movie and afterwards. Uh, but now, if, if we were to meet again, I would tell her, pretty high on the list is Frozen 2. <laughs> Josiah hates it. He's terrified of it. But I love it. And I know Adina Menzel is the star vocalist, right? But what many of us don't think about is Aurora, the Norwegian singer who has this beautiful ooh. I'm not going to do it because I couldn't do it justice, but it's this voice that calls out to Elsa, and she listens. Rachel, I hope this is the compliment I mean it to be. Your, your ooze up here reminded me of Aurora's ooze, and it was this chilling moment of, like, what is coming and what is happening and what is going to emerge from this? It has nothing to do with my sermon, but I thought it was really cool. Uh, so we should probably just pray, right? We should pray and start the sermon. Uh, God, we love that you laughed and delighted with your friends that... Uh, You looked at the everyday, ordinary things in the world, and you found hope in them. We thank you that uh, you dined with friends, you broke bread and shared a cup, and you you enjoyed life. Lord, we thank you uh, for the revelation of yourself in your person and in your holy word. May we hear it afresh today uh, and go forth in your spirit uh, to declare your love to the world. We pray all this in your name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We're in the fourth Sunday of Epiphany, this season uh, that historically is understood as a season of light and life, a season of revelation of God's self to the world. If we were really faithful, we'd come on the Tuesday that was Epiphany this year and have an Epiphany service. And that's the, the service where we would have talked about the Magi and them going and offering gifts and the light that was shown in the place. I mean, just uh, we would have started there. But We start on the first Sunday after Epiphany with Jesus' baptism. And then we come to Jesus' miracle at the wedding in Cana. And then we had last week's text and this week's text. And and taken all together, this season is a season that is supposed to validate Advent. Advent starts our whole new year as we look at, uh, with anticipation, what Israel was hoping for in the person of Jesus. And then we look forward to what we are hoping for uh, in the second coming of the person of Jesus. Epiphany uh, says what they hoped for happened. What they uh, longed for came about. It's a season of uh, rapid fire uh, looks into what it means to see Jesus, God in flesh, revealed to the world. And each of these texts had a very particular thing they wanted us to to know about. This year we were in the Luke text for the baptism, and it was uh, quick and brief, and it was this picture of Jesus understanding himself, of being filled with the Spirit, and and, um, being prepared for his adult ministry. 
This wedding at Cana where he performs a miracle and basically nobody knows this except for his friends and his mother and the wine steward. The people at the party have no idea that they've experienced a blessing from Jesus. And it invited us to consider uh, where in our lives are there just blessing? Where, where in our lives is God's grace? Where, where is there such good that we just don't even know about? And then last week we came to this text in Luke 4 where Jesus comes to the temple in Nazareth. As a little kid, he came to the temple in Jerusalem. He was hanging out with them and asking questions. They were astonished that he asked these good questions. Uh, Mom and dad leave and disappear and they forget their son. They come back, they find him. And like 12-year-old Jesus is kind of snappy. I'm here in my father's house. Where'd you think I'd be? This is the Jerusalem temple. Fast forward to this very early part of Jesus' ministry and he is back in Nazareth. Nazareth, the, his hometown. The place that he would have come back to after he was born in Bethlehem in the, in the kind of animal room of this home. This place where he'd have been known. Nazareth. We like to think of Nazareth as this big uh, Jesus metropolis, right? Nazareth is tiny. It's like Jenkins. It's 400 people. They know everything. You know these towns in Kentucky, right? They've got them in North Carolina too. Lizard Lick and Paint Lick and all these places where everybody knows everybody. And Jesus grew up there. I didn't grow up in Greenville where there was the big college and the big schools and all this. I grew up in Farmville where everybody knew everybody. And this is where we find Jesus today. He's at the beginning of his ministry. He's uh, preached this, or he's read this text last week where he says, uh, from Isaiah, I have come, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to announce good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives, recovering a sight to blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to announce the time had come when he would save people, that the kingdom of God was at hand. And we talked last week about how this is a message of hope for people who are hopeless, and how this is uh, the very DNA of Christianity, but has been uh, owned and uh, maybe in a special way given to the world by the Wesleyans, by people who claim our heritage from John Wesley, that, that we believe in personal holiness and social holiness, that we believe that if it's not good news for the marginalized, it's not good news. And the people of Nazareth were astonished. They are amazed at this word that Jesus reads from Isaiah and says, this is fulfilled today. Astonished. This is not that Jesus out there we heard about. This is Jesus who grew up. This is Jesus who we saw skipping stones off the Sea of Galilee. This is Jesus who he and his friends probably got into trouble. This is Jesus who dropped out of rabbi school or got kicked out of rabbi school. This is Jesus, Joseph's son. That's the question. That's the only response other than being astonished is, isn't that Joseph's son? Tradition holds, and it's from just two little verses, that Jesus was not an official rabbi. He has failed out of rabbi school as a kid and gone on to become an apprentice with his dad. The, the best and the brightest stayed in rabbi school uh, as they were kids and, and would eventually become a rabbi themselves and call disciples. But Jesus has gone to become whatever Joseph did. They call him a carpenter, but there aren't trees really in the Holy Land. There's rocks. 
So we, we tend to think he's a stonemason, but whatever. He's, he's a tradesman of some sort. And Jesus is his apprentice. And now he's in the synagogue saying that he has fulfilled this great home from Isaiah, this, this magisterial text, this thing that says that God's favor is coming to those over there, to the folks on the margins and the folks out there. Isn't that Joseph's son? And that's all they say. We don't get any more dialogue. We don't get to hear the little conversations. We don't see like Kathy lean over and whisper. We don't hear them back there kind of like passing notes. We don't hear any of that. Man, I would have loved to hear more of what that crowd was saying because Jesus, at least as it's recorded in Luke, doesn't miss a beat. I bet you're going to say that the doctor heal himself. We know you, Jesus. You've got your own mess to deal with. Heal yourself. What they're possibly thinking about, we don't know. It's not recording, but, but deal with you. Can't be Jesus. I, I think about this because uh, I grew up in Farmville, like I just told you. And when I decided I was going into ministry, I mean, people were shocked I was going into ministry. Mama literally would call people and be like, can you believe my child is going to seminary school? It started in fourth grade, but still in beer and cigarettes, and it kept going. I just kept getting in trouble, and I'd cycle back to being okay, and then uh, I dropped out of college and came home, and then I went and got a job, and then I came back home. Y'all, I went to my childhood home this week to sell it and thought about how many times I came back home because I needed that place of refuge, and mom was surprised when I went to seminary school, and Jesus' neighbors in Nazareth are surprised that he is speaking as a rabbi right now. This rabbi school dropout, Jesus, a stonemason. Go deal with yourself. And hey, hey, I bet you want me to do here what I did in Capernaum, don't you? You're mad that I've already done miracles there but not here. We don't know what they're saying, but there's clearly something uh, fomenting amongst them that is uh, frustrated, and Jesus sees this and knows this. He knows that they're going to tell him he's got his own stuff to sort out. He knows that they're mad that he's done good deeds. He's done signs in Capernaum, which is just right down here. It's real close. And he goes there and does good things. And here, for them, they feel left out. Do for us what you've done for them. And Jesus rounds it out with a a one-two gut punch of, let me tell you, y'all think I'm not going to do anything? Elijah had widows all around him. He had the poor and the hungry. And you know what? He actually went over here to this place. And Elisha had people who were sick and struggling and all this, but you know what he did? He went over here to the Syrian. Y'all are angry about who I'm going to that's not you. You're mad that somebody else has received blessing and you haven't. Um, I can't remember the exact saying, but it's, uh, not that we're going to be surprised who God uh, sends to hell, but who God let in heaven. 
this idea that uh, that we want others to hate the same people we do, and we only want them to love the people that we do. Um, it's a problem in the broader church, not in the broader church, uh, when we find a common enemy instead of a common mission. When instead of uh, rooting ourselves in this very message of liberation, of hope, and of healing, we find ourselves at anger with one another. This text is hard because I want to be Jesus here, right? I want to be literally the righteous God-man who has no sin and has no faults, who's seeing the problems in them. But so often, we are uh, asked to be two things. We're asked to be the modern reader of the text, to say, what's the, what's the bigger picture? What's going on here? But in, in stories like this, I think we're actually supposed to see ourselves as the people of Nazareth and go, where are we angry that God is blessing these people? Where are we angry that God is not helping me? Where are we missing God in our midst? We've already seen this in the story of the wedding at Cana where Jesus makes uh, water into wine. They're completely oblivious to Jesus' uh, blessing there. And, and now... Because this is Jesus, Joseph's son, the rabbi school dropout who's got his own stuff. They are, they are missing the very good in their midst. And once again, I feel like we're invited to look around and say, where is the ministry of God? Where is the good news? Where is this in the world that we aren't even seeing? Where we have to look up from our own self-interest and go, wow, look at what God has done there. Hear the difference. Uh, You're a person of Nazareth and you go, Jesus, we've heard what you did down in Capernaum. What astonishing things. We heard that and then you read this text and and we, we want that for the world and we're happy for Capernaum and we're happy for these places around the Sea of Galilee. What if the story looked like them pausing and longing and worshiping? We don't know what they did. We get one sentence of their reaction, but it is clearly not good. We can shape our own reaction to the good news of God that... This, this message of hope and healing, this message of uh, grace and redemption, this message that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, this message that uh, is good news for all. What if we, what if we, the church, had a different reaction? What if we delighted? What if we longed for What if we prayed and wore out our knees on these altar rails, desiring that God would actually do these things he said he's going to do in Christ? Because let's be honest, Jesus said, I've come to announce good news for the poor, release of, for the captives, recovering a sight to the blinded, to set at liberty those, or set free those who are in bondage. But it hasn't happened. There are still poor people and people who are hungry and people who are pushed to the margins and people at every corner who need that good news. 
And we like to tend to think that uh, we are not those people, but uh, for, for many of us, there's a place where we've been pushed to the side or, or where we've pushed ourselves to the side and said, we're not worthy of these things. And, and Christ has said, this is going to be good news for all. An epiphany. We're charged with going out with Jesus' message to make it good news for all, to believe that uh, even if we can't see the blessing around us, it is good news for us to go and declare that uh, even as there is pain and suffering, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, even as maybe we haven't received the things that we have longed for, maybe it feels like those prayers have not been answered, we know that God's blessing is happening. And I hate using the language of God, God's blessing. I'm, I'm reading uh, Kate Bowler's book right now, um, Everything Happens for a Reason Other Lies You Believed. Uh, because when we talk about blessing, we tend to think about uh, uh, televangelists. And if you do this, you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. If you do these things, God is going to bless you and make it perfect. And that, that just doesn't ever seem to be the promise. But God's blessing is there for us. That uh, before we deserved anything, as Darren said in his prayer, before we deserved anything, he loved us. And he loves us and will love us. I really wish I could have just stuck with the Old Testament text. It'd been easier to talk about calling today, but y'all get feisty when I don't preach for the gospel for a while. No, Nepali, I went and visited her, and the first thing she said is, I wish you would stop talking about the Old Testament and talk about the gospels. Uh, and she wasn't the only one. Nona, I know you're out there. So we've been in Jesus stories for a while, but they're actually harder. We get enough distance from these Old Testament stories that they can be out there and we can feel inoculated from them. But when we get up with Jesus, we are hit right in the face. Of Maybe the church is called to more than we thought we were. Maybe we're called to be and to do something different. And maybe, just maybe, uh, it's not all uh, um, what we understood it to be. I wonder how many... Um, how many Joseph sons we have in our midst that we don't even know about? How many voices that we've uh, looked around and said, that's so-and-so. I'm going to thread a line real carefully here. Um, we, we uh, as a church, have a very long and rich history. We have had five bishops come out of our church. Clergy who have served here have gone on to the Episcopacy, and, and we are one of few who have had five of our clergy go on to that. And that is awesome and uh, worthy of celebration. But I think so much more worthy of celebration is the number of people whose hearts are good and who go out in their everyday, ordinary lives and change the world, who are incredibly kind doctors, who are lawyers, who go out and help people, who are wonderful retired people who take care of their neighbors, who are um, witnesses to God's love. I think that is the, the better marker of a spirit-filled church. I would never want to be a bishop, so this is not a, a campaign promise. Hopefully we have more bishops out there come from our church one day. But what I really want is more good people who have been shaped by this liberating message of the gospel and who go out and share it with others. It's my hope, and I hope it's your hope. I pray it for each of you. 
you go out and, and in the midst of God's blessing, in the midst of uh, the inbreaking kingdom of God, in the here and not yet where there is still pain and sorrow, where there is still marginalized people, and you go and declare that uh, God is good and he loves you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, uh, we have so often missed uh, those moments where you are uh, blessing us. And then we long for the blessings that uh, would never be good for us. Lord, we miss your grace so often. Uh, and so we are thankful to come to a place where we know you are in the gathered body of Christ and at the table. Lord, meet us in this moment uh, in mighty and powerful ways where it's undeniable. Sustain us to go out and be, uh, to be your messengers, to declare uh, your love and your liberation, to go out and to be doers of your word go out and be ones who fulfill the very things you took on in your ministry. We love you and praise you. Uh, pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.